Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Nine volumes available in paperback, ebook, and audio format at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. So go out, grab a couple of copies, and enjoy. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm good. What's going on, Bill? Well, I'm slightly premature, but I can't hold it in. Uh-oh. You want to know? I guess so. <laughs> well, I... Kind of teamed up with this software genius. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In uh, California. Uh, they are in the process of loading uh, our inventory of podcasts onto YouTube. All right. So there are some up already. And if any of you are joining us, having seen some of those podcasts on YouTube, welcome. Cool. And where do we look for them, Bill? Well, uh, I'm a little sketchy on that as of yet, so let's just leave it where it is for the moment. All right. But it's a work in progress right now. All right. But the cool thing is this. In about a month or two or somewhere within that time frame, some artificial intelligence is going to be used uh, in conjunction with our podcast. And what it's going to do is bring up visual pictorials uh, to see while the podcast is being listened to. I assume you mean that it'll be better than the artificial lack of intelligence that we currently use. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> My only question is, uh, if it recognizes me saying Bigfoot, are we going to see a size 12 foot wearing a flip-flop? <laughs> okay. I, I was wondering if we were going to see cartoons of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> hey, Scooby. Hey. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And uh, we'll see what the near-term future brings. Mm. Interesting, you know? Very cool. Yeah, we'll see yeah. what it does. I know a lot of people... Uh, want to uh, listen to the podcast on YouTube, and mm -hmm. we have had some challenges putting it up there. Yeah. Um, so it would be cool if somebody else takes care of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's going to be uh, automatically loaded. Every new podcast that we do will be put up there once this thing is done. Whether we like it or not. 
whether we like it or not, it's going <laughs> it's going down. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. So in fact, uh one of our listeners, my buddy Mike, hello Mike, uh just contacted me a couple of hours ago and he said, Hey, WJ, look what just popped into my queue. Now see it recognized that he, uh, number one, followed the old recordings I did of stories when I read about a half a dozen of them years ago. Okay. And uh, it also recognizes him as uh, being an aficionado of Bigfoot. So anything Bigfoot-related or anything new to anybody he listens to comes up immediately, and there we were. Nice. So really uh, exciting uh, adds a new flip to what we do, and I'm sure a lot of new listeners. So again, I welcome. Oh, and you. I do see, Bill. I looked at. Uh, I just searched just now Bigfoot Terror in the Woods sightings and encounters on YouTube, and uh, it popped up like there were some old ones there, but 180, 181, 186, 185, yeah. 187. Yeah. So, so it's it's kind cool. it's kind of random. I don't know. Look, I'm not sitting at the uh, desk with these folks, but it appears to be kind of random right now, but they're in the process of loading, uh, what do we have, 200 episodes now? Yeah, well, this is 191, so. Okay, 191, so uh, at some point, all of them are going to be up there, including the new one. Whether you like it or not, folks. That's right. (laughs) I'd stay away from those first ten or so. (laughs) You're stuck with us, you dirty dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kev, uh, a little excitement. And speaking of some excitement, oh, by the way, folks, if you are new to this podcast, uh, Kevin and I begin the show with a segment called Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. And that can be a very random event in and of itself, depending on... uh, what my brother decides to dig into as far as other oddities or cryptids. Right. And then I break into the middle segment with an encounter uh, involving Sasquatch. And we typically end the show entertaining you and ourselves with some of the listener mail sent in by people like you. Yeah, like the boys and car talk used to say, on the third half of the show, we do listener mail. <laughs> Hey, listen, I got to tell you something. You know how my mind works. You just broke some ice with me when you said the third half. (laughs) Did you ever see the Abbott and Costello? uh, Excuse me. It was a Laurel and Hardy bit at a table in a bar. Did you ever see that? I don't think so. Okay, briefly, folks. This beautiful woman comes walking in, and uh, Hardy tells Laurel, how much money do we have? So they had like, you know, 50 cents between the two of them. (laughs) (laughs) So he tells tells Stanley to order a drink for the two of them and one for the pretty lady. So (laughs) they sit down at the table. He invites the lady over. He gives it a drink. And Stanley picks up the glass, slugs down the entire drink and puts the glass on the table. (laughs) The lady walks away. And Hardy says to him, 
Why on earth did you drink the entire glass? And he looks at him and he says, I'm sorry, Ollie, but my half was on the bottom. <laughs> Perfect. Typical Perfect. slapstick. No, I have never, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's just that typical sh- shtick they used to, all that really dumb humor, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it's funny, you know? Well, cool. So in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, we're going to touch on something very quickly that was in the news this week that is definitely another oddity or other oddity. And then we're going to go into a more traditional cryptid segment that has to do with the time of the year. Oh, interesting. So first <laughs> off, I'm sure you saw, Bill, the uh, U.S. Reaper drone get harassed by the Russian Su-27 jets this week? Yeah, that was interesting because it kind of zoomed in on it and sprayed out some type of... Fuel, fuel. Was that what it was, fuel? Yeah, it was just dumping fuel on it, trying to disrupt the uh, video broadcast. And they they basically, apparently, they said, uh, I think it was yesterday or Friday on ABC News, that the Pentagon actually said that the jets made 27 close-range passes on the drone, and they only showed two of the passes uh, with the video clips, right? Because the Russians said that the the Reaper drone was making radical, violent maneuvers, and that's how they hit it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, like the drone was going to play tag with a fighter jet. Yeah, yeah. So the Su-27s, which are a super cool jet, by the way, like the the Russians have some very cool aviation. It looks a lot like an F-15, but they say it's actually more maneuverable than an F-15. You know, so it's it's a jet from the 80s, like the F-15, but, you know, still flying like crazy. And they show, folks, if you haven't seen the video, I'll post it on our uh, podcast link just for the fun of it uh, under BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under this episode, 191. But this Su-27 comes along from behind the Reaper drone, and the, the video is shot from the Reaper drone looking backward through its pusher propeller. And the first time it comes by, and it's got its nose really high, the Su-27, and it's pumping out all this fuel and basically washes down the drone with fuel. And you see the video pixelate a little bit from the drone, and then it comes by again and does it again, and it gets so close that it actually hits the propeller of the drone. Yeah. And then if you continue to watch, the blade on the propeller is bent, and I guess that ultimately uh, sent the Reaper drone into the Black Sea. But yeah, I mean, you know, we had the uh, Chinese spy balloons or whatever they were a couple of weeks ago, and now we have a Russian Su-27. slamming into a Reaper drone over the Black Sea. I mean, it's getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, it is getting crazier and crazier. But, you know, uh, onward and upward we go. But very importantly, (laughs) switching gears, intercrypt is in the news and other oddities. Bill, what holiday just passed? Well, I was thinking about that when you mentioned the time of the year before, and I know where you're (laughs) heading. We're going to be talking about some nasty little leprechauns, are we? <laughs> nasty leprechauns. 
So, you know, we, we think of the wee leprechaun as being friendly and a bit mischievous. But it turns out there's some darker aspects to their legend. <laughs> oh, brother, lay it on me. Do they have fangs and glowing eyes? No, but that would be cool. <laughs> but we know that they are, we, they're most famous for being tricksters, right? Uh-huh. Playing uh-huh. pranks on humans and stuff like that. Um, but some of the legends portray them as being much more sinister. Hmm. And uh, in many of the stories, these leprechauns use powers of deception to steal from humans and set humans up so that the what they do to set them up, like the events, can actually lead to the death of the humans. Oh. Yeah, so it's not all fun and games, despite the inflatable leprechaun that you may have on your lawn. Yeah, now correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that, you know, like we we picture the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Wasn't that in and of itself some type of lure? Well, the thing is, is that they're said to have money and gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they will trick you into coming after the gold and then take your money or your valuables. Wow. So they're tricksters. But I think the the rainbow is a bit of a romanticism of what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. But there's written history of them going back into plays and stuff like that, back to like the 1500s and 1600s. Okay. So these critters have been around in documented history. Critters. <laughs> <laughs> they are critters, despite the little beard. Yeah. <laughs> and and in some of the stories, so um, and the legends, the leprechauns are portrayed as being enslaved by humans. So basically, getting back to your pot of gold story, Bill, humans will capture the leprechaun and try to force it to reveal the location of its hidden treasure. Hmm. And and in some of these cases, the the human that captures the leprechaun will force it to become a slave to the humans who captured it. And they say this could be done? Could be done, yeah. I mean, sl- they never say that they get the gold, but they'll capture the leprechaun to, you know, and make it a servant with the hope of uh, tricking it into giving them its gold. And then granting them their freedom again once they get it. Exactly. In theory, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'd probably keep the little bugger around to clean the house. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll also see these leprechauns. They're often, uh, like you'll see, you'll read about them, and they'll say that they're cobblers because they're always working on a shoe. Uh Uh-huh. But it turns out when you read about them, they're they're said to be working on their own shoe because they spend so much time running about. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, man. They do have those wicked cool little shoes with the, the big gold boots. buckle. The little boots <laughs> with the buckles on them. Square toed. I think we could be trendsetters if we started designing them and sell them. I bet you there's a lot of people out there would dig well, on I wearing already them. wear them, and a lot of people, <laughs> you know, they do ask me where I got them and what I'm up to. <laughs> hey, those, uh, hey, Kev, uh, those boots you wear, they kind of clash with your suit. <laughs> and they're not just popular on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So, uh, continue. 
So they're also said to be vengeful spirits. Ah. So in some versions of the leg- legends, uh, the leprechauns are said to be the spirits of deceased humans who were overly greedy and or deceitful in life. Hmm. Which kind of makes sense, right? So these leprechauns <clears throat> come back and they haunt the earth, seeking revenge on the living by leading them to their doom or causing them harm. Hmm. So we get a little darker here. Yeah, what a... Uh, what is the... Uh, I, I don't even know if you even have anything on this. Is there any significance uh, to the little green suit with the top hat and all that jazz? Well, that has nothing to do I with I think it. only at Notre Dame University. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's anything significant to that. A lot of the a lot of the uh, sightings in that come out of Ireland, though. So that's the little green suit. Well, I would say this, you know, at Notre Dame after the game, uh, if everybody's missing their wallet, something's going on. There. Something's going on. <laughs> so these little leprechauns, uh, again, the darker side, they're said to also have otherworldly powers. Ah. So they have magical powers, and some legends su- suggest that they can use these magical powers to hurt humans. Ah. So what do you think they do, Bill? They can cast spells, put curses on people, and at times even control the weather. Wow. How about tying their shoelaces together? Can't do that. <laughs> no Catch. shoelaces, just buckles. Catch me if you can. They got those big. Bu- they got those big buckles. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tie ye laces together. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, Kev, we got to ask some of our Irish listeners out there across the pond uh, to chime in with us if they know any stuff about leprechauns we're not talking about, or if they saw one. So, a couple of the sightings, by the way, we're going to start out in Ireland, and then we're going to get back to the good old U.S. of A. Okay. So in 2002, residents of a housing estate in County Louth, L-O-U-T-H, Ireland, reported seeing a leprechaun-like creature in their area. Hmm. A green-clad figure darting across gardens and disappearing into the shadows. And Hmm. they also reported hearing eerie laughter and footsteps in the night. (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, this isn't the April Fool's episode. Yeah, no. When you start talking about eerie laughter, it makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, I have all these strange cackles going through my head now, what would be an eerie laughter, you know? Yeah, with his little shoes running across. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in 2016, (laughs) a man in Northern Ireland claimed to have captured a leprechaun on camera. (laughs) The footage shows a small humanoid figure darting across a country road before disappearing into the undergrowth. Wow. You know, uh, what was that thing you were talking about upstate New York a couple of months ago? What was that fiendish little critter? Oh. 
I can't. I don't want to spend any time on it. If it would have been on the tip of your tongue, no, not on the tip of my tongue. Okay, don't worry about I, it. There you was, know, you may not realize, but I discuss quite a few fiendish little critters. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. About 191 of them, to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then so moving ahead three years to 2019, a woman in Tipperary, Ireland, reported seeing a leprechaun-like figure in her garden. She claimed that the creature was dressed in green and had a bushy beard and that it vanished into thin air when she tried to approach it. Hmm. While some people dismissed the sighting as a hoax, others, others suggested that it could have been a genuine encounter with a leprechaun. Hmm. Oh boy, that is some strange stuff, man. So so now we're going to go like that. That wasn't that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. 2019. But yeah. it's really interesting. The most famous, and we're going to go back in time here, but it's one of the most famous sightings of a leprechaun ever was in Mobile, Alabama. No kidding. Yeah, and you've probably heard of this one, but it goes way back to March 14th, so close to St. Patrick's Day, 2006. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to post the video. There's a YouTube video from a newscast. So many people reported seeing this thing that they sent out the news van and did a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But what's interesting about it is it's one of the most popular YouTube videos of all time. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. So it was one of the first. So we're going back to 2006, and it was one of the first truly viral videos of uh, YouTube. And as of, you know, today, I think it's around 30 million views. No kidding. Yeah. And you watch the video, I'll post it on our website. It's kind of funny. I mean, these people are all over the town there, like they genuinely see something. And it was like up in a tree, what they think they see. Now, there's no video of it. Um, but they're interviewing all the different people, and then you also see some people in the interview that are just getting in on the action. <laughs> Warning, folks! It's pretty. Some of it's pretty funny. This guy pulls out this piece of metal with a couple of holes drilled in it, and he says it's a leprechaun flute from his family heritage that's like a thousand years old. <laughs> oh come on! You mean it's not true? I mean, it could be. <laughs> He's pretty famous now as the flute man. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a handle to drag through life. Hey, exactly. uh, yeah, I'm the flute man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, you got to be kidding me. But happy St. Patrick's Day, folks. You know, but it does go back in time. Like um, uh, the first recorded instance of the word leprechaun in the English language was in a, a comedy, a play, by someone named Decker. And the name of the play was called The Honest Whore, of all things, in 1604. In 1604, 1604. the play was called The Honest Whore. Whore, and it featured a leprechaun. <laughs> boy, oh boy, man. <laughs> you know, it's like King Solomon said, there's no new thing under the sun. No. Just keeps going around and around, around and around. around. Yeah. Very bizarre, man. So that's it, Bill. Happy well, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. 
by the way, did you wear a green suit and tie on St. Patrick's Day? I did wear some green, but I didn't wear a suit and tie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I accidentally put on a shirt that had some green in it, completely forgetting what day it was. Ah. So. You know what they say, it's better to be lucky than good. Eh, shouldn't be going on. <laughs> the luck of the Irish is always with me, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> now, from creepy leprechauns to a hair-raising encounter told to me by a fellow named Ted Rolls, a resident of the state of Montana. This is what Ted encountered while hunting elk in British Columbia. It was in 1998 that I and my friend and hunting partner Jim went up to BC to hunt elk. This was one of the few areas of North America at the time where you could hunt elk with a rifle during the rut. Here we go again, Kev. You'll recognize this area. Mm. We were hunting in the East Kootenay region. Ooh, a hotbed. Yes, which had been designated a six-point or better zone. This proactive approach, combined with habitat restoration, had been resulting in a robust elk population boom with many mature bulls available for the hunt. We used a 4x4 vehicle to get in close to the zone, followed by backpacking into the back end of an isolated river valley where the bulls were said to be holding. It was on day two of being there that we were closing in on the zone where presumably we would commence our hunt, albeit we were already hunting as we hiked. One could run across their quarry at any time and anywhere in this area. So we were ready at all times. We had been hiking through a valley following a river, with most of the surrounding woods being fairly heavy timber. And we were now entering into a spot where the forest was really tightening up on us from both sides. I had just said to Jimmy, we have to really watch our butts in here. When a loud squeal came out of the woods just ahead of us and to our left. It was followed by a lot of thrashing and crashing sounds in the trees as well as what sounded like several growls or grunts. And then everything went silent. To us, it sounded like a bear attack, and so we waited. After about five minutes had passed, we began to edge closer to the origin of the noises being ever vigilant of what may be lurking in the trees. You do not want to stumble upon a bear actively feeding. The sounds we had heard were relatively speaking close to our position, 
as we began to slowly creep through the edge of the trees with our rifles at the ready. Seconds later, we were both startled by a flurry of sound in the undergrowth, as if something had just run, perhaps having seen or heard us, and we stopped in our tracks. I had pushed a tree bough out of my way, which was obscuring my vision, when I saw what was an elk draped over a downed tree, and it was most definitely dead. Jim and I were on the same page, wondering what would kill and then leave its prey untouched, lying on a log. So we pressed forward. We were now standing some ten feet away from the elk, taking note of the fact that its foreleg was snapped in half, as well as the head being twisted like a wet towel. There were no blood stains or wounds of any kind visible on the side we were looking at. I stepped closer, asking Jim to cover me. I was now directly next to the elk, and I reached down to touch it. Before my hand got within six inches of the dead beast, there was a loud crack of what was a tree coming down through the canopy close to us. And two seconds later, literally two seconds, a roar that could peel the flesh off your body rang out in the trees next to us. The sound made my heart stop. It was as though I had the wind knocked out of me. I looked at Jim as the two of us simultaneously began to quickly backtrack out of the trees. It was only perhaps 10 seconds later when a second and equally loud howling roar sounded off yet again, and we had our butts in high gear running down the riverbank. The sound of this roar was akin to being at the firehouse, here we go again, when the noon siren goes off, shaking me to the core. After the second roar had sounded, we were already in overdrive and were trotting with our packs and rifles. I had never been so frightened in my life. Whatever had pushed a tree down could only have been 50 feet away from us, as I literally saw the top of the tree come crashing through the canopy in front of my own eyes, yet we saw nothing. Jimmy kept saying, it was a Sasquatch, it was a Sasquatch, over and over again. I couldn't deny it, having damn near crapped in my drawers when the roaring started. If it was a Sasquatch, it must have stepped away from the kill having detected us coming and had second thoughts about leaving the meat for two hunters, after which it decided to take it back at any cost. Thank God it hadn't decided to attack, and believe you me, Nobody on earth would have stuck around under the circumstances which we were presented with. It was absolutely terrifying in every sense of the word. What do you think of that, Kev?
Amazing. Good old Montana. Yeah, that's, well, no, they weren't in Montana. Oh. They were up in the East Kootenai region of B.C., Columbia. Oh, okay, because there's Kootenai National Forest, too, in Montana. Yeah, no, they were were from Montana and had gone to B.C. in this, like, hunting zone in an area where they could shoot these bull elk with a rifle. Oh, okay. (laughs) But this has to be... At the very least, the second, maybe the fourth or fifth time, a report of coming across the kill and activity surrounding it. So I think they're correct in saying maybe this thing stepped off, but I think when it realized that they were on its kill, not walking by it, that's when the frustration must have built and it said, no, 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 this is not going to happen. Right. So kudos to these guys. I mean, really, Kev, they described the area they had entered into as tightening up around them. Right. And so visibility was probably not great. Uh, Look, I understand you have to hike through some stuff to get to where you want to be. But man, oh man, I just, uh, if I was in those tight, can you picture yourself It'd be like being in a packed subway car <laughs> and, and something starts blowing up next to you, you know. What are you going to do? I mean, the only way out is the way you came in. And if you were walking through some tightly packed uh, forest, uh, he said they were trotting at some point. Well, I think it was when they got next to the river again. But, uh, I mean, you could fall, turn an ankle, get whacked in the eye with a branch. I mean, anything could jump you. Oh, no doubt about it. Oh, my God. No doubt about it. Just incredible. And again, with the broken foot, the broken leg, rather, (laughs) uh, this twisted up neck we've heard before. Yeah, basically a mangled elk, right? Yeah, I mean, they just dispatched them uh, to immobilize them and then just squeeze or smash the life out of them. And then, you know, they don't have to worry about them wriggling around or moving them around. But it's just incredible when you hear these things, you know? Mm. So how big do you think the bull elk is? I've seen some of them. Those things are pretty massive. They're massive. I I mean, I would guess 1,500 pounds, but I'm guessing. Yeah. But I've seen them recently up in uh, Rocky Mountain State Park up in Estes. Up by the Stanley Hotel. Yeah. And they're standing around there all the time in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. Huge set of antlers, too. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that really stands out about them. The rack on them is just like, uh, what are you talking, five, six feet wide? and At least six feet across, yeah. Yeah, three feet tall. I mean, if one of them comes bearing down on you Hmm. uh, with the intent. Now, look. Would you think that an elk would attack the Bigfoot or that it gets to jump on it and dispatches it before it has to deal with the business end of the antlers? I, yeah, no, I think the Bigfoot's coming after the elk and the elk's trying to defend itself or maybe defend another elk or it's, you know, mm-hmm. baby elk or whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm talking, you know the old saying, grab the bull by the horns? Mm. 
I mean, I'm thinking of somebody, anything, trying to grab a bull by the horns, and you are just barking up the wrong tree, man. <laughs> but I would think that a bull elk has maybe not the power of a bull, but I'm thinking they can probably toss you around like a rag doll on their rack anyway. Yeah, no doubt so, about it. Just incredible, man. No so doubt the, about it. The Kootenai strikes again. Yeah, we got a lot of creatures in the Kootenai. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, folks, if you hunt in the Kootenai or anywhere else, or you've seen something or have something to report, uh, you can knock on our door on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, and hit the contact link. And just uh, send me a line, and I'll get back to you. You know, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say and what has happened to you. So that's it, Kev. I mean, crazy leprechaun uh, (laughs) info coming from you. And this bizarre... For St. Paddy's Day. Yeah, for St. Paddy's Day, and this bizarre finding and the trees crashing down and grunting and growling... Coming out of the Kootenai. And mangled I, elk. Yeah, I can't see it being anything Yummy. else, you know? No. No. I mean, look, what else could grunt and groan like that? Maybe somebody's mother-in-law? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, lost in the woods? I was going to suggest a bear, but they're not usually knocking trees down. <laughs> what do you mean? Bears knock trees down all the time. Oh, yeah. When they're scratching their back. Yeah, Rotten and I heard... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if I they're heard- looking for a picnic <laughs> basket. Yeah, that's right. Hey, boo boo, Jenny, picnic <laughs> basket. That's dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, Kev. What do we got in our uh, yeah listener mail? We got some segment. good listener mail this week. So uh, first message that I have here comes in from Brad from Indiana, and he says, "Greetings, WJ and KJ from Indiana." I wondered, KJ, if you've ever covered the Ireland legend of the Banshee. Hmm. And I did. I have not. So thank you for sending this in. He says, I was able to take a trip to Ireland with a close friend and mark that off my bucket list. Met a local Irishman and didn't even need subtitles to understand what the gentleman was saying. <laughs> I asked him about local legends, which hats off to you, by the way, Brad. Like, you go to a weird, different place, you got to ask him about cryptids. That's what I'm doing all the time. Yeah. Um, so he says, I asked him about local legends, and we talked about the Banshee and their ill-fated shrill. He told me legends that say locals say you can hear their screams across the Irish countryside. And they're often heard in the crumbling ruins of castles. Wow. After a long conversation, he asked me about American cryptids. He realized early on we were Americans. Lots of laughs, he wrote. Yeah. (laughs) I said Bigfoot overwhelming was the talk of the cryptid world back home. After a few pints, I told him about Bigfoot terror in the woods explaining not only did the dynamic duo of KJ and WJ talk about Bigfoot on their podcast, but also KJ does the amazing segment titled Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. Touche, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Promoting uh, (laughs) Bigfoot terror in the woods. He says, keep up the great work and God bless. 
That was pretty cool, Kev. Very cool. You know, you know. I, wish Brad, I, had... I, don't, I don't know how the Irishman figured out that you were American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't talk with an accent at all. Nah. <laughs> hey, get your freaking car out of my parking spot. Go ahead, Kev. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Our next email comes in from Caitlin in New Jersey. And the subject is Bigfoot in New Jersey. As long as I can remember, I've pretty much always believed in the supernatural paranormal. My family has never really put any stock into that kind of thing, with the exception of my younger sister. Knowing that she has my back makes it easier on me to really trust what I'm seeing and experiencing when it comes to all things creepy. Now, I've never seen or encountered the hairy man, but there is something about these countless accounts. Between your podcast, Bill's books, and other platforms where people share their experiences, I probably heard, read hundreds of Bigfoot encounters. How could all these people be lying about the same thing? I do my armchair research, but I really want to get out there. I live in the central part of New Jersey, where there are wooded areas to go to, They aren't squatchy spots. I was planning to go to Pennsylvania to check out some places, and then I came across something on the Internet. Now, the southern part of New Jersey, within the Pine Barrens, is definitely a squatchy place. But there are rarely sightings or reports. Maybe the Jersey Devil kicked them out. (laughs) (laughs) I believe the most recent one was in 2016, maybe earlier, Our local radio station posted this video article about a sighting from from this year just a few weeks ago. I've attached a link below. I really like to hear your take on this report and the possible evidence. I'll tell you one thing. It definitely does not look like a bear, and I'm not seeing the goat feet of the Jersey Devil. If there (laughs) are, in fact, hairy men in my home state, I can't wait for the chance to see one myself. All the best, Caitlin. And Caitlin, I did look at the link that you sent, and it is pretty cool. You know, it's a it's a still photo, uh, several still photos of a what looks like a Bigfoot for sure, not a Jersey Devil, not a bear, uh, walking down along the railroad tracks, uh, pretty close by. Now I can't tell if it's somebody in a hairy suit though, because there's not much motion. It's just a still, several still photographs, but it looks promising. Yeah, and Caitlin. Uh... I don't know how long you've been listening to the uh, podcast, uh, but I did report on an account. Uh, you remember the one, kid where the guy was barbecuing sausages? He went yeah, in the house to get yeah, his yeah, stuff? Yeah, 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 That was directly from New Jersey. Well, and the Pine Barrens there, I mean, it is a very desolate place, Caitlin, as you know. Yeah. I mean, anything could be going on there, and when you say... Not many sightings, not a lot of people roaming around in the middle of the Pine Barrens, pine barrens either. No, and this this all falls back on uh, my saying so many times that there are nine and a half million acres of real estate in North America. Folks, there are plenty of places for things to get lost and roam around in. Yeah. Including human beings, by the way. <laughs> so uh, and hairy know, man, 
and hairy men that want your sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and Caitlin, listen, if you decide to go walking around, just fill out a will, last will and testament. <laughs> you know, you want to have a backup plan when people come over to visit you and nobody's in the house. <laughs> just saying, you know. All right. And our last email tonight, this one came in from Brad from Minnesota. And Brad, I will apologize in advance. I did not, I'm not going to read your whole email, but I did appreciate your whole email. I'm just grabbing a couple of snippets from it. But the subject is incredibly loud howling. Mm -hmm. So pretty interesting. And uh, Brad writes in, WJ and KJ, I ask that if this account is used in any way, please do not identify me. So I didn't, I did not do that. Um, I currently work as a representative for a highly respected international company. The environment requires a lot of accountability, personal responsibility, and integrity. I'm now 60 years old, and I'm looking at retiring in a few months. Many things have happened in my lifetime, and these were in the forests of northern Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So I, I read that part, Bill, because it's interesting where people, you know, we haven't talked about it lately. But people are very worried about reporting often on what they've seen or what they've heard because of possible repercussions. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, it happens all the this, time. This felt very genuine, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I wanted to read it. So I'm going to jump into the story here. Um, Brad says that he turned up the TV, had something to eat, sat down and fell asleep. Nothing out of the ordinary. I woke up just after the 10 o'clock news. The dog was sitting next to me, and he talks about his dog earlier, which is a big chocolate lab, mm -hmm. 100-pounder. That's quite protective. Mm. Um, and he says, I sat up and recall hearing an odd sound. I couldn't tell what it was. I turned down the TV, unplugged the wood stove fan. Ginger, which is his big lab, was acting, was being way too clingy and was acting strange. I remember thinking that this sound was kind of like a wolf howling. Being in the cabin, I just couldn't be sure. I told the dog we were going outside. She made me go outside first. I don't get it. She never had to be called outside before. The howling starts again. It's loud. It's close. Where is it? I made the dog walk with me the 10 yards or so down the driveway. As I stood in the end of the driveway, the howling started again. Deep, low, and my chest started to vibrate. Yeah. The pitch slowly went louder and higher into a high pitch, high pitch howl like a wolf. Then it started to drop an octave, hold that, then drop again, and drop to a very low, deep sound, unlike a wolf. I only recall the vibrations in my chest went... It was so loud, and the, the tones were so low. I've only felt this type of vibration, having grown up in the 70s, at a few rock concerts where the sound systems could vibrate my body like that. Hmm. The howl lasted what I thought was an incredible amount of time. I remember having to push the dog out from between my legs. She pushed her way there while this howl was happening. I could not understand why. She was shaking. After I was able to stand without her there, she started pushing herself back in there. 
This dog was not afraid of any other dog or animal that I've seen. Now she's cowering. I said, let's go in. She ran for the door. I turned up the TV, plugged in the fan, and fell asleep. All the while, this howling continued. It seemed like it would finish, then count 10 and start up again. I woke up around 2.30 that morning. The howl was still going. I went back to sleep 3.30 or so. No more howling. The next day, I went out to see if there were any signs. Nothing in the dirt road, and the woods was covered in leaf litter. Too tough to tell. Nothing. Hmm. Pretty wild, right? Yeah, really wild. And these... The sounds, you know, the variable pitch screaming and howling. Yeah. Uh, it's and very deep, deep, like guttural howling. Yeah, very commonplace. Yeah. And also, it's remarkable how dogs that are generally protective and perhaps even on the aggressive side. Yeah, all of a sudden frightened. Yeah, they want to stay near the owner. They're not looking to advance. Well, they know uh, better. Yeah, it's got to be something instinctive in them that this fear or... I mean, look at dogs chasing down cougars, running after them and treating them with the cougars slashing at them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes getting killed. Yep. And these things hear that howl and that sound, and they don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, so... Uh, Pretty good account in and of itself, you know. Yeah, it was all right. I, I know it was a little long, but I figured we'd go through it. So, no, so it's folks, more- thank you for the suggestions, too, of other cryptids like the Banshee. Um, we're definitely always looking for ideas. And thank you for listening. And thank you for all those five-star reviews. And if you haven't given us a five-star review lately, or you never have, please do so right away because those five-star reviews are really the only means we have of attracting new listeners and by attracting new listeners we can continue to increase the quality of the podcast and stay on schedule fantastic Kev. great job with that read and the uh, other oddities bit on the leprechauns and folks remember if you should find yourself walking through the pine barrens in new jersey or maybe the woods, northern Minnesota, or the East Kootenay region of British Columbia. You better remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.